calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I stared death in the face when I was just three years old. I was old enough to grasp what was happening, old enough to be afraid, but far too young to do anything about it on my own. I was trapped, absolutely helpless, and it's only by the grace of God and one unlikely person that I am alive to write this story. My therapist agrees that the memory will likely be with me forever and says I can only affect my relationship with the memory. She recommended writing the story down, this story that you're about to read, as a way to take control of the memory and the feelings it brings up. She says channeling the images and sounds and feelings into a narrative will help me make sense of them and come to grips with what happened. I don't think she's right, but figured it can't hurt to try. And if it doesn't work... Hopefully, I'll at least provide you with a voyeuristic escape for a few minutes. Enjoy my pain. There's plenty to go around. My mom was an avid runner. She ran marathons before she got pregnant with me, then slowed down and stuck to 5Ks. I'm told she ran three of those during her pregnancy. Dad says after I was born, she barely waited for the doctor's okay before she started running again. Every fitness-enthused parent knows how difficult it can be to find time for exercise when you have a small child to look after. You have to find shortcuts and workarounds that will allow you to put in the work. For my mom, the solution came as a three-wheeled stroller designed for running. She started taking me out in that thing every single day. That's what Dad says anyway. I only have one memory of going out in that stroller, and it's of the day I wish I could forget but probably never will. So like I said, I was three when it happened. It was November 7th, 2002, and as cold as any November day can be. 
My mom got me all bundled up in a wool hat and gloves, plus my plushy winter coat that pushed my arms out at a funny angle unless I forced them down. Once my winter boots were on my feet and laced, she picked me up and put me in the jogging stroller. This one had a five-point harness like a car seat. Two straps went over my shoulders, and two more wrapped around my waist. All of the straps clipped into a single clasp just below my belly button. Mom had already put on her thermal running apparel, so once I was all strapped in, we were off. The air bit at my cheeks despite the visor Mom had lowered in front of my face. I watched the houses go by with watery eyes and hoped she wasn't planning on being out for long. Before you start thinking my mom was cruel to take me out like that, I should clarify that I don't remember her ever being out for too long when it was cold. Still, as a little kid with no control over what was happening to me, not knowing when we would be back home and warm made me nervous. And on that day, I was right to be nervous. The passing houses started getting farther and farther apart as we approached the park. Mom turned around in the park. She would run through the parking lot, past the playground, and into the woods where a very nice concrete path would take us on a loop through the trees and spit us back out in the parking lot again to go home. Dad explained all that to me later on, otherwise I wouldn't remember it. He says the only thing that could keep Mom from finishing her lap around the park was snow and ice on the path. It hadn't snowed in a while. Any snow or ice that had been covering the path had melted away, so into the woods we went. Mom loved running through the woods. It makes me sad to think about how excited she must have been to see the path clear that day. I bet it made her day right before it ended her life. We had just made it to the bend where the path curved around to take us back out when the stroller jerked abruptly. The sound of my mom's screaming gibberish is burned into my memory, along with the sounds of metal creaking and the stroller's fabric rustling all around my ears. First it spun sharply to one side, then the stroller tipped halfway over as it straightened out. Then I heard a deep, beastly growl, and the stroller was jerked to the side again. My mother's frantic voice started to grow distant as I rolled towards the edge of the path. I had no idea what was happening. I was already in tears when the stroller's front wheel went over the edge of the concrete and got lodged next to a tree root. The abrupt interruption of the stroller's momentum caused the whole thing to tip over and land heavily on one side. I could still hear Mom for... I'm not really sure how long, to be honest. It felt like forever hearing her scream off in the distance as she fought. I flailed against the harness, but it held me firmly in place. I couldn't reach the ground. I was suspended by the straps, barely still in the seat, but totally unable to get out. Something cut my mom's voice off short, and the world around me went quiet. All I could hear was the cutting wind rustling the dead branches above me and the fabric all around my ears. My tears and snot started to freeze. The streams coming down from my eyes felt like deep scratches clawed into my face. They cut across my face at an angle as I struggled to keep my head up. I remember desperately trying to push the button that would release all four straps at once, but I couldn't push hard enough with the puffy gloves on my hands. I tried and cried. I even kicked at the ground in a fruitless attempt to right the stroller. What good that would have done, I have no idea, but I was so scared just laying there, trapped on my side. I wanted to get out so I could go find mom. I wanted her to be okay. I hoped the fact that she wasn't screaming anymore meant the danger had passed. Looking back, 
The very fact that she wasn't there picking me up and getting me somewhere warm should have told me the truth. But in that moment, my infantile mind hadn't even considered the possibility that Mom was gone. I had recently been potty trained, so instead of a diaper, I was wearing underwear. That transition had made me so proud, but stuck in the stroller, it became yet another horrible discomfort. I wet myself, either out of fear or simply because I had to go and couldn't do it anywhere else. I don't really remember. But I do remember how it felt when my crotch and legs froze like my face had. I'm not sure what finally triggered the first thought about what could have happened to my mom, but I clearly remember thinking it must have been a monster. A terrible creature had come out of the trees and taken her away to eat her. I was sure of it. And as I became certain my mother had been eaten up by the monster, I became equally certain I was next. I forced myself to stop crying, worried the monster might hear me. Instead, I started fidgeting with the harness again. My fingers slipped against the cold plastic as I tried again and again to press the release button. I realized I would never be able to press it with my gloves on. Not at all thinking ahead to what would happen to my fingers if they weren't protected from the cold, I ripped my gloves off and dropped them onto the ground in front of me. Maybe I thought I would be able to reach them, but I couldn't. I might as well have thrown them into the trees. My fingers were already partially numb despite the gloves, and without them, I quickly began to lose feeling in my digits. All of my struggling and rustling in my coat must have generated enough noise to get the monster's attention. I heard a twig snap somewhere behind me. It echoed sharply through the frigid air, bouncing off of leafless trees, passing through dead shrubbery. Another footstep crushed a few frozen leaves. I froze too. Mom had tried teaching me to hold my breath at the pool that summer, and I had failed miserably, but in that moment, with the monster creeping towards my overturned stroller, I held my breath without even realizing it. More tears came despite my efforts, melting the previous streaks before freezing into new ones. I wanted to call out for Mom, but still felt it was important to be quiet. As the footsteps continued to creep nearer, I renewed my effort to get free. I was going to get myself out of the stroller and run away. At the very least, I would hide somewhere the monster couldn't find me. I pressed my numb fingers into the button, but still couldn't push it down. Everything was working against me. The button itself was as stiff and cold as my fingers, which felt like they might break off if I pushed them any harder. Every time I pushed, the harness pressed into the ice in my pants too, which only added to my misery. It was about at this point that I tried reaching for my gloves and discovered the ground was out of reach. My neck was getting tired too. I had been holding my head up for so long and now my frozen muscles were giving up on me. I was ready to give up too. The footsteps had almost reached me. I could hear heavy breathing coming with them. It was deep and loud. The monster was panting like an excited dog. It was excited, I assumed because it was about to eat me. The footsteps stopped right behind the stroller. I squeezed my eyes shut and whimpered helplessly as the monster grabbed the stroller, set it upright, and turned it around. Then I felt the familiar sensation of rolling down the path. I opened one eye, terrified I was about to see the monster that had taken my mom, but instead saw the empty woods and the path coming towards me, then disappearing behind as I was pushed along. I opened both eyes now and searched the trees frantically for any signs of mom. I wonder now, as an adult, 
If I would have even noticed the scuffs in the mud, the blood on the trees, or in the small patches of snow, or any other signs of her struggle if I had seen them. I was just a kid. I had no idea what to look for. I just wanted my mom. The monster pushed me along, presumably taking me to its cave or lair to eat me, and I started to cry. Not just silent tears this time. I sobbed loudly and uncontrollably. I was shivering with cold and pure terror. I wet myself again. The monster growled angrily behind me, and I tried to stifle my cries. Soon the playground came into view. Something about the familiar sight gave me a little hope. I half expected Mom to be waiting at the other end of the trail where the loop ended, but of course, she wasn't there. With a hideous grunt, the monster shoved the stroller. I rolled forward so hard and erratically that I thought the whole thing would tip over again, but it stayed upright. I quickly slowed to a stop. The front wheel must have been slightly crooked when the stroller came to rest because when it stopped, it turned sharply to the left, spinning almost 180 degrees around. That was how I got my first glimpse of the monster. It was enormous, both tall and broad. It stood on two legs and walked with long steps. It had a mane like a lion that wrapped all the way around its face, though the very top of its head was bald. Its thick torso was dark brown with hair far shorter than the hair around its head, and its legs were black and hairless. It lumbered back into the woods without looking back at me. I sat there alone in the parking lot for God knows how long. By instinct, I tucked my unprotected hands under my thighs. Eventually, I fell asleep. I almost didn't wake up. When I finally did awake, it was in a hospital. I didn't recognize any of the people standing around me, but they seemed very happy when I opened my eyes. They asked me a bunch of questions, including my name and my parents' names. Thankfully, my parents had taught me our last name and I was able to give it to the doctors. I told them my dad's name, but explained that my mom had been eaten by a monster. That was when I had noticed the police officer who was also in the room. She had been standing in the corner, but stepped forward as soon as I mentioned the monster. While we waited for my dad to come, I told her all about the big, hairy beast that had taken my mom. She wrote down my whole story, which I'm sure did not come out in a fluent narrative. She put it all down in her little notebook, pausing occasionally to give me a comforting smile. Dad took me home that night. He seemed overjoyed when he first saw me, but then he got sad for a long time. I don't think I saw him smile again for months. I probably didn't smile either. Dad explained to me that Mom wasn't ever going to come home again. I told him I knew that because the monster had eaten her, and he said no, she hadn't been eaten. I asked him if the monster hadn't eaten her, what had it done with her? Dad said the monster sent Mom to heaven. I didn't understand that. Why would an evil monster take somebody somewhere amazing like heaven? Well, that's the story as I remember it. I'm not sure if my therapist was right. I don't really feel any different. I guess it didn't hurt, though. And it probably won't hurt to tell you a little more, I guess. Consider this the epilogue to my traumatic experience. After that initial conversation with my dad, I honestly didn't question what had happened to my mom for years. The next time I thought about it was the second time I saw the monster. I was seven years old then and didn't recognize the beast at first. He was on TV. He walked onto the screen in orange clothes and handcuffs. Dad started crying and turned the TV up. 
I asked him what was wrong and he said, that's the guy who killed your mom. Now much older, I was finally able to make sense of what I had seen that day. The killer wasn't a monster in the sense I had originally thought. He was a big man with long, mangy brown hair and a thick beard that reached his chest. The short fur on his torso must have been a coat, and the baldness I had perceived was actually a hat. As he walked across the screen, the news lady talked about him. She said he was going to serve four life sentences. I asked Dad how someone could stay in prison for four lives, and he explained that just meant there was almost no chance of the man getting let out before he died. As an adult, I've come to understand the case in much fuller detail. I've learned all about my mother's killer. He's still alive. He's made many appeals, all of which have thankfully been denied. I do believe he will die in prison, which I personally feel is a gift he doesn't deserve. However, I am a little conflicted. This man, this monster, despite the horrific things he did to my mother and three other women, saved me. My therapist has tried to reason with me about this, reminding me that the monster put me in the deadly situation in the first place, but I still can't get my head around it. I'll never know why, and I'll never be able to shake the feeling that I am only alive because the monster let me live. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.